You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Genevieve Gornershek. I met Genevieve when her first book, The Witch's Heart, came out and became a New York Times bestseller. It's an incredible story about a little-known aspect of Viking mythology and Norse mythology that I had never heard of. And it became one of my favorite books of the year that it came out. She has a new book out called The Weaver and the Witch Queen, where she's once again found a really interesting piece of Viking age history and turned it into an incredible novel. Uh, So that may not surprise you when I tell you that her passion is all about the Viking Age, but I'm going to let her talk about exactly what aspects of the Viking Age her deep passion is for. It's such an interesting conversation. It's so much fun. It was so great to catch up with Genevieve. Uh, She also might be the person who is closest to me geographically, Uh, We once again realized when we were discussing this particular book that we live like 20 minutes away from each other, which was very, very fun. Uh, Nothing like doing a Zoom meeting with someone who you definitely could have just gone to see in person. But that's another story for another time. Love this conversation. I'm so excited for The Weaver and the Witch Queen. And before I get into talking, or before I get into letting you guys take a listen to that conversation, I want to give you another book recommendation uh, and then also just get into some uh, quick emails that I that I got that I really, really love. So my book recommendation is Warrior of the Wild by Trisha Levenseller. Doing a little theme here. Uh, this was Trisha Levenseller's young adult uh, Viking-inspired standalone fantasy. Really great stuff. It is the story of an 18-year-old daughter of the chief of a particular tribe who has to find a way to kill the oppressive deity that uh, has basically ravaged their homeland for years and years and years if she ever wants to return to their village. Trisha has written the Daughter of the Pirate King books, which I just adored. Everything she writes is so fun and approachable and fantastic. Highly, highly recommend checking out anything she's written. But if you like this conversation, check out Warrior of the Wild. That's Trisha's Viking book that I think you'll enjoy. As always, you can always reach me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com, or you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at passionsandprologues. I want to say a quick thank you to Vanessa, who's one of the people who wrote in to me, uh, not only for sharing their passion, which I really, really loved, but also she sent me a recipe for a mochi stuffed miso chocolate chip cookie. I haven't made them yet but I am going to, Uh, but that was based off the conversation I had with Jude Atwood a few weeks ago, all about baking. So if you missed that episode, check it out. Jude talks about all of the wonderful things he loves to bake, and I will give you guys a full uh, review of Vanessa's mochi stuffed miso chocolate chip cookies when I finally do make them. Really, really excited about that. As always, for anyone who reaches out to me, let me lets me know their passions uh, or ask for book recommendations. Anyone who emails me, I randomly give away one bookshop.org gift card every single month. So if you want to shoot me a message to say hi, leave me a review, whatever it is you want to do, uh, you'll be quote unquote entered into one of those. So yeah. That is just about everything. I'm not going to keep you any longer. I am so, so, so excited for you all to hear this conversation with Genevieve Gornishek, author of The Weaver and the Witch Queen on Passions and Prologues.
Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Okay, Genevieve, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Uh, So I have been doing Viking Age living history for the past almost nine years. Um, And that is something that uh, with the season kind of ramping up, that is something that I would love to talk about today. Yes. So right before we started recording, we were joking how we like briefly touched on this the last time we talked. Genevieve and I talked literally like three years ago when her first book, The Witch's Heart, came out. And we briefly touched on this and I was really hoping this was going to be your topic. So (laughs) for my listeners, can you kind of walk through how you came to discover this passion of yours? So uh, I will make a long story as short as possible. What had happened was I uh, I was in college um, studying uh, the Viking Age and such, uh, and I had applied for a graduate school at the University of Iceland, and I got into my dream graduate program, and then I couldn't go for a a number of reasons, but the big one was financial. And so I was really sad. I was heartbroken. And I decided that I was just going to go buy like a Viking kit off the internet (laughs) and just go to my local medieval fair, right? And Mm -hmm. just be like, this is going to make me feel better about not going to graduate school. So as I'm walking around this festival, I keep like having people come into me. Like, sorry. (laughs) Wow. Can you cut that? That was a bad, that was a bad verbal typo. (laughs) I kept having people come up to me and saying things like, oh, are you with that group? Oh, are you with that guy's group? Are you with this? I'm like, I'm not with the group. There's a group. What group mm-hmm. is there? And I finally, I just like happened to pass them and they like came after me and were like, hey, do you want to join our Viking group? We like your outfit. Uh, and that was it. That was that was the end of it. <laughs> um, or the beginning of the end, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> so... What, uh, like, you, you, you kind of mentioned going to, like, medieval fairs, or I know a lot of people know Renaissance fairs, where, like, there's the, I actually heard, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they had one of the, like, critical role people on, and he was talking about how he goes to run fairs in two different ways. One is, like, with his family dressed up and having, like, the full experience, and then the other version is he goes with his friends and does not dress up and just gets hammered. And so <laughs> I'm curious from like from the Viking standpoint, what is different for people who might not know between like Renaissance fair and medieval fair and different things? Like what would be the difference between what you do and uh, a Renaissance fair? So living history is more like trying to reconstruct a, a way of life or a craft or um in some cases, like combat skills, Mm -hmm. Um, we're basically like trying to be as authentic as we can possibly be like in regards to um, the time period. Whereas like medieval fairs and Renaissance fairs, like you can do whatever you want. Like it's and more power to you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just fun and they're not so focused on historical authenticity. You know, like you could be, you could dress up as Ragnar from Vikings and Mm -hmm. be like a super awesome fantasy Viking. And that's awesome. I've actually, I've gone to medieval fairs in my Viking kit. Um, 
and it's I feel a little bit boring mm. um but it's also a lot more comfortable than like a corset or some of the other things that I could be wearing, which like, I do have like a whole Renaissance fair yeah. get up just because like, I mean, like that's where I got my start doing this. So I do, I do love me a Renaissance festival, um, but they're a little bit different than like a uh, living history events. Yeah. So what is entailed in a living history event? Like kind of, kind of take people through the experience and, you know, the activities and different things that you're doing throughout that process. So at the main living history event that I uh, go to once or twice a year, um, it's like on a private property. There's public hours for a couple a couple hours on one of the days, but the rest of the time we're kind of just like left to our own devices, right? The um, There's a section for modern camping, but it's mostly primitive camping, like mm-hmm. just with your Viking tents, um, like no technology, no, no running water, which like, you know, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but basically... It's really nice to just unplug and like just be out there in the middle of nowhere, like just mm-hmm. you and a tent and like whatever. For me, it's like I, I I'll work on my crafts. Like uh, I do tablet weaving, which was a way that they could have made like decorative trim for clothing. Mm-hmm. And um, like a lot of people do do combat, so like there's combat training a couple times. Cooking is a big one. My group mm-hmm. really really loves to cook, and there's like an auction. Sometimes like for the site, uh, just to like raise the funds, like to maintain the site. And it's just all, I don't know, it's just like, it's a weekend getaway, but like with none of the things that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Is it, are these sites, are they places that are kind of open year round and you just pick when you are going or do they have kind of special they events do, or weekends? They have like events and weekends um, because a lot of the times they are on somebody's private property. So it's it's not open like year round. It's just, oh, we're going to prep the site for this event, now the event, and then we're going to tear it down. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Can you talk to me about the cooking a little bit? I'm super interested. Yes, yes. Um, so we cook over fires, like just in cauldrons, like exactly how you would expect. Stew, stew that has been cooking over a campfire for like hours. And you keep mm-hmm. having to add water because the water cooks out. It's like, it's the best. Um, yeah. And I had never been like regular camping before I started doing Viking reenactment. <laughs> like, I, I'm I'm kind of like waffling between saying like like uh, reenactment and living history. Like for some people they're interchangeable, but reenactment is more like I say reenactment because it's like it's shorter and it's easier. Mm-hmm. Reenactment is more like Civil War, World War II reenactment, where you're actually like reenacting like a specific thing and not yeah. just kind of like living in the moment, vibing as like you know dressed in flax linen and like <laughs> stirring a cauldron over a campfire. <laughs> Something I'm super interested in is like you said I. And I know this from our previous conversations, but like the kind of like Viking era and that like that that history you have studied, like you said, you were trying to go to a graduate school for these types of things. There's a difference between people though who like are historians of something versus like you're literally you want to go and kind of have these lived experiences. So for you, what do you like? get out of sounds reductive, but like, what, what is it that keeps you kind of going back to these experiences beyond just having a fascination with that historical time period? Honestly, not only is it kind of like fodder for writing, but like, it's nice to get those like hands-on experiences like that I'm writing about. And as well as the people, honestly, like I, I found like this amazing community of humans who also like to, you know, dress in flax linen and go live off the grid for four days in a tent mm. um, with no running water. 
But yeah, like I came into this hobby with like a lot of background on like the myths and legends and the culture. Mm -hmm. But as far as like material culture and like hands-on experience, I had a lot to learn. And the fact that I I keep learning. There's so many knowledgeable people in this hobby too that it's just great to just like sit around a campfire and just be like, let's talk about the most recent archaeological find at this site. And like, you know, I have friends who are like potters who replicate like historically accurate, like... Yeah, uh, you know, stuff and people who do blacksmithing and weaving and all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's just an amazing community of very talented, very passionate people. That's amazing. Are there things maybe you weren't expecting to learn that you've, that you have learned throughout this process? Cause like you said, obviously going to these experiences, you probably did expect to learn, like you said, like the pottery or the cooking or things, but have there been like unexpected discoveries that you've come across? Yeah, I feel like I I learn something new every time, either from like somebody else or just doing things myself. Uh, One of the biggest things I learned um, actually helped me with Witch's Heart, which is that um, if you like Google Viking women, you'll get pictures of like women in the like the tortoise brooches and like the beads and like all decked out. But that kind of thing is not practical. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. your everyday person would have been wearing all of that stuff. And you figure like we have... Um, these burial finds that have, you know, they're people totally decked out with all kinds of stuff, but like you figured they were buried in their best. They weren't doing Mm -hmm. housework in, in all of this stuff. So I actually, when I was revising the witch's heart, I actually revised the main character on Garbota, like out of her, like, you know, all the (laughs) stuff that she was wearing, um, and just put her in a plain dress, like, because who would she be trying to impress? She'd just be like working all day. So yeah, stuff like that. that I did, just did not expect to learn that, and I was, and it actually like helped me improve my craft and my story. So, yeah, I honestly, <laughs> that's so interesting because you're thinking about the witch's heart, like you said, like Angra Boda, like for so much of that book and like the like the the myth that surrounds like she's by herself, like she's not gonna, <laughs> like, she's not gonna be like you said, like decked out in these clothing, and like you said about like the the show Vikings, which I also love, but like yes, you know if that to say that their braids and their hair probably aren't historically accurate would be an understatement. Like they're, it's so elaborate what they have. It's like, they're not going to take time to do all that when they have all of this other stuff that actually have to get done. Right. Like if you were like a fancy queen and had like handmaidens to do your hair, maybe. Um, I mean, they were super well-groomed. Combs are a very, very common grave find, but like, yeah, the time it would take to do those braids and stuff. Like if you were just a working person, like it's ponytail and then done. Yeah, I, I do love like what I love watching Vikings and seeing like the perfect like undershave and like perfect braid right. for every like every and I'm like, uh so in between these two scenes, who did this hair for you? Like what right. when did this right. yeah. Yep. Hundred <laughs> percent. So you like you kind of mentioned, you know, this is sort of like fodder for your writing. So I guess obviously the the stories you write and we'll get to the new book in just a second, but um obviously those are you know, based on, you know, Norse mythology and like Viking history and things, but beyond just like the, the clothing and and aspects like that, what are some other things you've taken away from these experiences that you have folded into your writing? Honestly, like a a lot of it, like the, the camaraderie among the people who fight, uh, because combat is not my specialty. Like I Mm -hmm. did my best with the fight scenes in the new book, but like I, I don't know, just like getting to to know the people 
and how like they act towards each other and like the respect. And I, I know that like uh, you get like a lot of like bro like skull brother, like guys <laughs> uh, who who love Vikings. But like I know I've met so many like genuinely good dudes through this hobby. And like I was able to be like, yeah, that is that is what I want my people acting like. Just like, yeah, try- granted, granted, the Vikings the ones who went to Vic- a Viking, I should say, went raiding, did some pretty terrible things. So that was also an interesting balance. Like, you know, the guys I know aren't growing up and killing everybody and killing, like, taking <laughs> their stuff. So like, how do I balance like, okay, we want to make these guys likable, but they also kill people and take their stuff. So that was, sorry, I don't think I actually answered your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. I, before, so I have one last question before we get into The Weaver and The Witch Queen, your new book. But I guess like, to go all the way back, what was it that first, like, you first found this love of, like, the Viking Age and that specific history? Like, do you remember, obviously, you've been studying it for such a long time now, but, like, do you remember what it was that first kind of caught your attention about these these people and this time period and all this history? Yes, I took an Old Norse language class in January 2011, Um I had just gotten back from studying abroad in Sweden on a scholarship because this was during the recession. And so I, I came back actually early because I couldn't afford to live over there anymore. <laughs> and my scholarship ran out. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to do a Scandinavian studies minor because I just I just got back from Sweden, right? So the first class that was available was the Old Norse language. And that that class like literally changed my life. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing we translated was the short passage of Loki giving birth to a horse. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I just had this moment where I was like, gosh, this is weird. <laughs> I love it. Like mm-hmm. I'm in. And then the rest was history. Like I, I had read the Norse myths as a kid, but like, I, I forgot how mm-hmm. weird they were and how fun and how sometimes terrible But it was honestly, I credit that class and that professor with uh, why I'm like this. Yeah, I I will say for people who have not read actual Norse myths and like the what you know is either from like Marvel or stuff like that, like it is akin to Disney, like Disney fairy tales versus real fairy tales. Like the the Norse myths are so weird and so fantastical and so like dark and strange. Yeah, yeah. So along those lines, speaking of Norse myths, can you kind of give an introduction to to your new book and maybe a little bit about like where the story is is based from uh, in in history? Yes. So my new book is called The Weaver and the Witch Queen. It uh, releases July twenty fifth, and it is a it's an origin story for uh, Gunhild, mother of kings, who was the wife of the second king of Norway, Eric Bloodaxe. And Gunhild is just like a fascinating character in the sagas. And when I say the sagas, I mean, um, they're they're kind of written to be more his- histories rather than myths, but they're still at their heart historical fan fictions. The Icelandic sagas in particular, uh, which like I relied pretty heavily on one of them, along with uh, this compilation of King sagas called Heimskrieg Love by Story Sturt Listen. But the sagas, the Icelandic sagas themselves are like anonymous, and they tell the stories of Icelanders settling Iceland in the Viking Age. Or I should say Norwegians settling Iceland and then becoming Icelanders and like the generations of families and you have like real like real life stuff like farmers fighting over like cattle or sheep grazing not cattle sheep grazing rights like suing each other at the all thing like and and all kinds of that stuff you also have like hauntings and zombies and ghosts 
<laughs> and all these like fantastical things happening. So some of the more realistic ones are really, they fool you into thinking that they, their history, cause they sound like it. Yeah. Um, but then you see the other ones literally have like a ghost seal poking its head through the floor and all kinds of just weird, crazy stuff. So that was my basis for Gunhild's story. And, and as you could probably imagine, it was all too easy to make, uh, make it into a historical fantasy from there. <laughs> yeah. I was, so what was it, you know, having such a breadth of knowledge about, you know, all of these, these stories and myths, what was it about this particular story? You know, like I, we talked with, with the first book coming out about Angerboda and like how it was sort of mm-hmm. like a, a person who there wasn't much told about and like it was such a fascinating character, but there was so little about her. What is it about this particular story that you're like, oh, I want to unpack that more and I want to like weave my own story out of that? Uh, so Gunhild herself, for a woman, she does a lot like in the sagas, which are mostly concerned with men and what men are doing. And there are women here and there who are like fierce and amazing and like, you know, hit people in the face with bags of silver and are very sassy. And Gunhild is kind of like, she's she's a little bit vilified. Um, mm. She's usually the opponent in all but I think one of the sagas. She's kind of like the opponent of whatever our Icelandic protagonist is this time. Um, and I just thought, you know what she needs? She needs a best friend. And so I gave her two. Um, and, you know, uh, these sagas, they do not pass the so-called test of like uh, the Bechdel test, I Bechdel think. Bechdel test, yeah. I know, I know that's not like, I don't know. I know people have opinions on it, but like we never see like two women in the sagas talking to each other about something mm-hmm. other than men. Actually, I don't think at all that I can remember. So really, I just wanted to like tell the side of the story that we don't get in the sagas and like I said give Gunhild some friends and like you know give her kind of like she comes off as being like very vindictive and like like needlessly like I don't know what the word I'm looking for I guess vindictive is the word Mm -hmm. like she's she's very proud she's very petty and I hope that people who are familiar with the source material will read the weaver and the witch queen and be like ah that that she definitely grows up to be that person that I've read about in the other Mm -hmm. stories um do you like you mentioned kind of like adding in new characters and mm-hmm. and these different things and do you like I guess how close do you want to keep yourself to the original source material and things like this because obviously like you said it's it's based off of a myth anyway but like yeah. how how much do you want to like how much do you allow yourself to kind of take liberties and like you said like adding characters and things like that that is something that I've always struggled with because I am such a stickler for like, yeah. gotta keep to the story. But so I really went out of my comfort zone here and did a lot of stuff. Um, so like, unlike with The Witch's Heart, where I was like, this could plausibly be happening in the background. Um, in The Weaver and the Witch Queen, I was kind of like, yeah, I fudged some stuff, but it's no less, I will say it is no less than the saga authors do. Because mm-hmm. you one of the sagas that I, I used as my source for Weaver, which was um, Ale Saga, it literally like puts the protagonists at places that they could not possibly be at mm. times that they could not possibly have been there. Like they, they have like a, a really famous battle happening during like one character's lifetime when it really like didn't happen until like, I think like 20 years later or something yeah. because the author really wanted this character to die at this battle, but that battle hadn't happened yet. So mm. I, I don't go that far. Like I still like, like to have some continuity, especially like with the sources conflicting all the time, I kind of had to pick and choose like which ones I was actually going Mm -hmm. to use as my basis. But yeah, I guess I had to sit there and think like what would serve the story Mm -hmm. and could I like 
fit it within like a reasonable amount of like suspension of disbelief when it comes to like how it will conflict with my sources that I'm using. Mm -hmm. Well, and then also I have to imagine like, like you said, from the sources you're using and like having that be a a jumping off point and a play Mm -hmm. like sort of like a skeleton in the story. I imagine you still do want to come up with like your own like plot twists and endings yes. and things like that so that yes. it's not like it's you don't want it to be like formulaic. You want it right. to be your own wholly original story. Right. And I don't want to rewrite the saga like beat for beat, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So I am curious and maybe this doesn't happen at all, but the people that you go and do kind of like the, you know, like the historical living and the reenactments and like everything do they know that you are writing about these things as a as a living now? Oh yes, they all are aware. Uh, <laughs> I yes, and I, I think that they are very proud. Like I've gotten some really good like connections and feedback um, mm-hmm. when I do meet up with my friends at uh, these events. Especially now that I'm back in Ohio and I see people, I'm seeing people for the first time since like since the book came out, right? Yeah, and they're like, "Oh my god, your book." I have one of my friends is like, he's like listening to the audiobook for the third time. I'm like, what? Uh, what? Oh, you my words? Um, and I've had a couple, a friend or two in reenactment read an arc of Weaver. And mm-hmm. my one friend was like, I see so many of us. Not like, like, like not, you know, I'm not taking people and like putting them mm-hmm. in the book, but like, she's like, I see like characteristics of like so many of our friends just like put in here. And it's like, it's so much fun. So. Yeah. That has to be so amazing. That has to be such a cool, like, to have your, like, tribe or found family, right. whatever, you want to, yes. whatever you want to call your friends, like, to have these people and to have them be that excited and, like, see it and then things yeah. like that. Like, I, I just, that makes me so happy. And I remember yeah. talking before the first book came out and it was like, it was literally like when we did our interview, it was like months before and, mm-hmm. you know, and we for people- lockdown. Uh, we were on lockdown. Yeah, I know. And um, we're, Genevieve and I were joking. We're actually recording. We're not, I'm not going to give specific places, but we are literally 20 minutes away from each other right now <laughs> doing this via Zoom. But like, I remember, I don't know. I just remember you talking about it and just being like, yeah, I hope it finds an audience. And like, Genevieve's being very modest. It was a national bestseller. Like, it's an incredible book. Oh, thank it's you. <laughs> so amazing. And so like, I don't know, to me, it just, I'm, it, it's so cool. I feel like authors a lot of times, will write a, a a story and if it becomes popular, like, yes, they have lots of fans, but they don't get to do what you're doing, which is like have these interactions where there's these shared experiences that are somewhat interconnected to the story itself with your friends. I don't know. This isn't even a question. It just has to be such a cool experience. It is really cool. And also like the same friend was like, well, that's why you wanted to to use some of my duck silk <laughs> from the Osterberg find. And I was like, yeah, because I kind of wrote it into the book. Like at one point, one of the characters wears a, a dress mm-hmm. with, with duck patterned silk on it, which is historically plausible. But yeah, she was very amused by that. Um, and yeah, it it just it's been it's been a lot of fun. Weaver, though, I will say it's more of like an adventure. There's a lot more stuff happening mm-hmm. um, in it, whereas like the Witch's Heart. <laughs> is a woman sitting in a cave for most of the book um but it's okay you're you're being modest now yes she's sitting in the cave for most of the book and yes it's like what is it thousands of years hundreds of years I'm trying to, it's a like, lot of years that's a lot like of a years lot of time but it's so interesting and so Thank fast you. that you're being very modest I, I have one more question about the book real quick I, yes. for people who have not seen the cover is so cool 
on the new book. Like, did you Weaver? have any for Weaver? Yeah. yeah. How it's like, it literally looks like it is woven together. Like, yeah. did you, I know most people don't usually, but like, did you have any say in how that turned out? I, I had input. Uh, I was mm-hmm. asked again, like what I wanted, didn't want. And I said, here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. I'm like, if you're going to be really detailed on the costuming, I probably will have something to say about it. So I think that's why they went a little bit more simple, but I think Uh they knocked it out of the park again. It is. It's so cool. And for people, obviously the the book link will be in the show notes, the story, but like, I just, I remember like, like, it's just so, it's so striking because it does, it literally looks like it is woven together. That's apropos of nothing. It just, I wanted to give that a (laughs) shout out to I always end every conversation by having the author who comes on do a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book. It can be, you know, I've had people say, go for a walk. I've had people say, like, <laughs> bake this specific pie. Uh, what is just something you want to recommend to my listeners that you think more people should know about? I will never shut up about Dark, Dark Water Daughter by H.M. Long. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a book coming out, I think, July 11th, so a couple of weeks before Weaver. It is a flintlock fantasy, a pirate adventure. So if you want like Pirates of the Caribbean, but make it winter, that's what this book is. The magic system is super unique. I was a big fan. And I've read this author's other works. Like she debuted the same year I did with her Hall of Smoke series. Mm -hmm. Um, This is part of a different series and it is phenomenal. And I can't wait to buy the audiobook because I read an arc, but I'm going to listen to the audiobook because I really like the narrator's. Uh, and and literally in the author's TikTok, she she posted like, if you like Commodore Norrington all grimed up from the second Pirates movie, if this is your thing, you're gonna like this book. And co-signed, retweet, hundred percent. Oh um, man, so I I really liked it, and so I'm recommending it to everybody if you like fantasy and pirates. Yep, just like if someone says, "Hey, this is a book about Vikings," I'm like, "Say less, I'm good." I'll, I'm gonna yeah. read it. Same thing with right. pirates. I'm like you. Yes. I, anything like piratey, I will, I'm just like, yes. "Yep, give, give me that." That sounds yep. amazing. I'm oh. in. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, Genevieve, I like I told you before we started recording. I was so excited when your name came across my email. I remember like this is one of my favorite types of conversations to have with someone I got to talk to like years ago. And yeah. It was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.